Um, but I love Easter. The expectation that we have is an amazing thing. Just to share with you a joy. This is my expectation for today. This is a wonderful Cadbury's Easter egg right here. And uh, it is beautiful. Look at this. Just gold shining right here. So this is my memory growing up that I would look forward to having these boxes. And one year I had eight boxes stacked high, a proud little Johnny, uh, in front of all this consumption that I was going to have. I was going to get through church and then raid as much chocolate as possible. But Easter's are so joyful for all of us. Maybe you've got a tradition that you enjoy. Maybe you've got a meal you're thinking about right now, your, your mother's cooking or whatever you're looking forward to. But it is such a joy, right? There is something like a springing our step this morning. As we walk in, it's a little easier to come to church, maybe for some of you here today. But there is a joy that comes in knowing um, there's a joy that we come, but as we grow older, we find that that expectation becomes a little jaded, especially over the last two years. Suddenly, the unexpected comes into our worlds, and we learn over life to have not quite this super high expectation, maybe best average sometimes, just in case it's just not that good. And we decide that actually, if I just set about the middle ground, if it's not that, if it's terrible, then I wasn't so let down. But if it's amazing, wow, I get wowed by it. I'm amazed at how we try and navigate expectation in our lives. We try to expect the worst. How many of you have a friend that expects the worst? Oh, no, no, no one's got friends. It's because you're that person, right? Isn't it? Right? Yeah, because you're that person. Thank you for the honesty in this place. We come with the expectation the worst could happen. And it was funny, in my trips to England, we went for uh, an overnight stay to go see my grandma down by the coast, about a three-hour trip. And I literally took a small suitcase of things just for an overnight because you're by the beach. You're not sure if it's going to be sunny or rainy because it's England. You're not sure if it's going to be really nice weather or whether you're going to have coats and jackets. And so don't you find that when you travel, if it's just one day, it's the worst because you have to take everything like you're planning for a week, because we can expect the worst. I mean, Pennsylvanian weather, come on. <laughs> like literally, we are about to have snow potentially in then 80s by the end of the week. Like we are born to expect the worst. Like the summer, will it be full flood that we'll have this summer? Or will there be other mixture of weathers, tornadoes, hurricanes, who knows? But we come with this expectation of the unexpected, and we expect probably the worst. We come today with that expectation of joy in this room. We come with a joy of expectation that God's going to do something. But actually, this day started with an expectation. It was unexpected what happened. They had a Savior, a Messiah that they had ushered in just last week. The Messiah, the Lord, is going to come into Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign, and somehow God is going to intervene, overthrow the Romans, and suddenly, the kingdom is at hand. But a week on, two days ago, three days ago, Jesus died upon that cross. And suddenly, the unexpected came flooding into their worlds. They were met with this challenge of what they thought was is now not anymore. And so they're preparing. We're going to be jumping into John chapter 20. And we're going to read a story. And I'd love for you to stand. It's a, a thing that we're starting, that we stand to honor the word. And so the words will be on the screen. I will read it to you. But I'd love for you, if you have your Bible, to read along also. 
And so here today it says this, early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Madeline went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary Madeline, one of the followers of Jesus, was coming to prepare the burial, and suddenly another unexpected moment happens. The entrance has been removed. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter put the other disciple, started for the tomb. And both were running, but the other disciple outrun Peter. Fantastic. John will always laugh at that. In Scripture forever canonized, John beat Peter. And reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in, and the stripes of the linen were lying there. And so then Simon Peter came along behind, second place Peter, went straight into the tomb, and he saw the stripes of linen lining there. And as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Notice that. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And now Mary stood left behind outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look inside of the tomb. And saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And she asked her, woman, why are you crying? They had taken my Lord away. She says, I don't know where they have put him. And finally, we just want to jump down to 24, another account of unexpectedness. Now Thomas, another follower, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. And then Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands a mark on the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the victory. But also, there is a tension in the resurrection of the unexpected. We all are filled with the unexpected. We are filled with things that are not met in our hearts. And God, this is a now word for us. So God, would you open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to your living word. God, I pray for the mind of Christ upon all of us to receive and speak to us, Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, into this place. Lord, would you speak through me today the words of life so deep into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, we see in the, the, the passage that we just read, twice Mary says, we do not know where they have laid him. Twice in the short passage, this passage over and over again. And the second time is even more amazing because she says it to angels sitting at the end. Now, angels in Scripture, every single time they've seen an angel, they've been terrified on the floor. But for whatever reason, Mary is so frantic in her trying to discover the unmet expectation, the new unexpected moment has invaded. It wasn't enough that Jesus had died but suddenly this body has been stolen. 
And she is so frantic in her heart. She sees what terrifies man and just goes, have you seen him? Because I can imagine the tears rolling down her face and she sees holiness. But she is so drawn to the unexpected that she can't see what's in front of her. It's shattered her very being and trying to discover. Thomas, another disciple, had his expectations shattered. And he cannot expect again. He needs to touch the body. He needs to touch Jesus. Two accounts back to back. John, the writer, is intentional, remember. He is putting these two stories next to each other to emphasize the story that is being told on resurrection, that there is unexpectedness. There is things invading our worlds. And this passage is asking a question we relate to. Where is Jesus? Beneath our well-picked attire and uh, hopefully expectation of the food that we're about to consume, the joy that's in our hearts, begs the same question beneath all of this. Where is Jesus? This life is not what I expected it. Where is Jesus? The expected dreams as a child to find that perfect someone has now entered with the unexpected relationship ending, whether through death, whether through someone walking away. Maybe the expectation of that dream job as a child that you wanted to be an astronaut and you still can't. Whether it was for whatever expectation that you had in life, now suddenly was met with the unexpectedness of the door closing over and over again on that opportunity. It's my expectation of my aunt who was healed of cancer, but then met drastically the next year by the unexpected heart attack that she experienced and died. It's the unexpected prayers that we pray for a friend or we pray for ourselves, the relentless expectation that Jesus will heal, yet we're met with the unexpected silence in our lives. It's the expected community of love that we experience. Over and over again, as families, we come loving one another, yet we experience the unexpected separation over ideology, over politics. More than ever, families are being divided over the ideology of one another. We thought we were always going to love one another, but unexpectedly, we are now divided and not talking. It's the expected of this amazing Christian hope that we are all given, right? Jesus is going to save you, take away your sins. You're going to live this wonderful life up to the right. Everything's just going to get better. But yet questions and doubts come in. The unexpected questions of life hit us so hard. And we ask, is this even real? Does this even make sense to me? It's not what I thought it was. Where is Jesus? We hear the words on Good Friday still ring when Jesus was on the cross saying, it is finished. Yet for many, Resurrection Sunday feels like he actually declared it is incomplete. It's still undone. It's not what I expected. And so we try to numb the tension. We try and numb the unexpected, and we've kind of got three categories right there. John started, he saw, and he believed. John, the ever hopeful, optimistic, and I love John, I resonate with John. It doesn't matter how bad something is, or if you don't understand what's in front of you, it's just going to work out. Have you ever met those people? 
You're, I'm your pastor, and you say, you've met me, and that's me. I look at something of a tomb, and I always go to the positive. Well, it's just going to work out. It's fine. But that's my mechanism of what I don't understand. I'm just uber positive. It's just going to work out. Maybe you're more like Mary, frantically trying to reason why what has happened in front of her. She's trying to search all the different areas, asking who, even angels before her, do you know where he's gone? Like she's so desperate to make certain the situation. See, she is the Google searcher. If Mary was a woman in our days, she would be on Google checking all the answers, trying to find all the the new health tips on how to work it out. She wants to make certain what has happened, the unexpected in our life. Maybe you're like Thomas today. The unexpected has entered in and you're just walled off, not believing anymore until proof is certain that there is Jesus, that this situation will turn around. You won't be fooled again. You're praying less. You're losing vision. And so we find ourselves as doubting Thomas, famous of them all. And I feel bad for Thomas because I think actually we all are doubting Thomases. We all have that doubt about us, the questions, even in this room. And we as a church really believe that. Bring your baggage into this space. Bring your concerns, bring your doubts, and we want to walk along together to know that Jesus is the answer. But we want to bring it in. We don't want to have the nice blazers on, the smiley faces, though we welcome that as well. The joy of the Lord is our strength as well. But we want to get real before. But I love Thomas. See, Thomas, I think, gets a bad rap about what doubting is. Because in John 11... Lazarus had just died, and so Jesus was about to form one of the most amazing miracles that was about to get him killed. And so four days on, he's like, we're going to go back. And they knew that meant death for the disciples. And Thomas is the only one who speaks up and says, let's also go that we may die with him. That doesn't sound like a doubter to me. That sounds like someone who's bold. In John 14, Jesus teaching What must occur, the final night before Jesus goes to the cross, he teaches his disciples all things. And Jesus, like Jesus, makes this statement that actually doesn't make sense, but he assumes that it should do. And he says, you know where I'm going. And I think for most of the congregation, we would be like, "Uh yeah, sure. But Thomas is that bold one in the class that we love who gives clarity. Because we want to ask the question, right? We don't understand, and we want to be the person, but we feel so unsure We don't want to be that person, but Thomas is a bold learner, and he doesn't care about looking like a fool. He's like, I don't get it, Jesus. Where are we going? Because it doesn't seem that clear. See, I don't think Thomas is that that we think he is. We see doubt so negatively, but Thomas is a ride-or-die kind of guy. Jesus is a ride-or-die guy. He's all in. He's bold. And so doubt is actually part of a bigger process of disillusionment. Doubt is a process that we all must go through in belief. All of us are invited in resurrection to try and face the unexplained, the unexpected. And it's part of the process of faith. And so I would say to you that the disillusionment that Thomas actually felt. Because you imagine, you're a ride-or-die kind of guy, and your Savior, your Lord, your teacher has died. 
I mean, wouldn't you be disillusioned? Wouldn't you have some sort of framework of brokenness inside of you? I think that the process of disillusionment is an amazing thing. And so just definition for disillusionment. It's the feeling of disappointment from discovering that something is not as good as one believed it to be. It's the when my experience doesn't fit neatly into my worldview. It's the questions of the prayer that some get answered and others don't get answered. It's the breaking in your soul for no apparent reason. It's the bad things that happen to good people. It's the joy that just seems to be sucked out of your life. And the question we have is, God, why? Disillusionment. The feeling of disappointment from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. But actually, I believe the gift of disillusionment, the gift that Thomas and Mary both experienced is actually a gift. See, to be disillusioned actually means to realize you lived under an illusion. You actually have an illusion. We ourselves live under many illusions about how I see myself, how I see other people. Man, if I could get that one. We live under an illusion of what other people think about us. We are so under illusion And so actually, disillusionment is a gift to realize that what you were living under is an illusion. And so illusion, disillusionment is a death. You understand that you've been living under an illusion and death must occur for new life to happen in your life. Things must die so that things can grow and things can expand. There is a healing and a growth in recognizing and and releasing. For life to occur, things to grow, death has to proceed. There is a death in our knowing and growing in trusting. So this one point I just want to make for us today. This one point. Trusting beyond knowing. This is what we're going to frame in our, the rest of our time together. Trusting beyond knowing. This is the journey of faith, trusting beyond my knowing. And so trust, what is trust? Because in our world, we would almost say that trust and knowing is the same thing. I know because I trust, I trust because I know, but they are very different. Knowing obviously is cerebral. It's enough information that I know something. But trust is so much deeper. It's a reliance. In fact, the word faith we use isn't always that helpful because we assume it to belief is in I know. But actually, we would translate faith as faithfulness is a better translation. And faithfulness has more of an action that I'm consistent, that I actually trust and believe something with all of my being. I am going to be faithful to it. It's not just a belief, it's an action. In fact, Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That is the perfect description of biblical trust. That we do not lean on our own knowledge, but actually we lean on someone else's, on God's knowledge. And actually we believe it so much that we actually activate in all of our ways trusting and moving in him. It's that beautiful imagery of leaning back into a chair, 
leaning back into a loving person's arms. It's leaning into something you know that has you, that has got you through whatever you can trust. That's trust. And so trusting beyond knowing. And so as we go back to the story that we read together, I want to look at just quickly Mary and Thomas to see what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to take the resurrection is trusting beyond knowing. If you want to know what the resurrection is about, it's trusting beyond knowing. And so let's just revisit as we carry on reading Mary's story. We left her off crying at the tomb, weeping because she had completely lost all understanding. The Google search did not work. There was no clarity. All her frameworks had been broken, and she was disillusioned. So as we jump in, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to the woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said, Sir, again, this question, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And in that moment, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. I would say that her knowing is limited by her familiarity of knowing. In other words, she is limited by the experience of knowing. It's interesting that she could not see Jesus. Jesus either has a really cool party trick now, which it seems to work pretty well because he went on the road of Emmaus and two people for the entire journey did not recognize him. But I think the author is doing something else. I think there's a reality that Mary was so locked in her vision of who Jesus was that she could not see the answer in front of her. She answers Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus corrects her, saying, don't cling to that. I'm going to ascend. I'm Lord of your life. But how often have we, by limited, by the familiarity, by the experiences of knowing, how often have we limited Jesus? Knowing creates certainty in our worlds. Experience creates knowing. And so we are so encapsulated by our knowing and experiences that we can't see the answer in front of us. We are so held by history. We are so held by the brokenness of our soul. We cannot see the answer because our experiences of knowing limit us. And so Jesus needs to disillusion us. He needs to break down that knowing that we have of experiential, of this is how it's always been. And he needs to reframe that. And it needs to die. He needs to do this. And I love that word, don't cling. I think that's the first action step to us moving from trusting beyond knowing is don't cling to what is in front of you. Don't cling to your past. Don't cling to the future chains that you've put around yourself. I want to tell you today, if you don't hear anything else today, you are not what you did. You are not what you do. You're not someone who did to you. You're not who others say you are. You're not even who you think you are. Christ says 
who you are. And that's what he's trying to break down inside of Mary. Mary was someone who was demon-possessed, had seven demons inside of her, and was healed. We don't know the time frame, but within three years. You could imagine that Mary has some limitations in her experience. And Jesus is trying to free her. He's trying to free her from the understanding that Jesus has to be this physical teacher only. That actually he's going to ascend. That's the beautiful thing. Jesus must ascend in our lives. Jesus must become more Lord when the unexpected comes into our worlds, when we don't understand, when the experience is contradictory to what we know. Jesus is trying to break your worldview, and he's trying to bring in a trust. This is the beautiful thing. Jesus meets you where you're at. He might come in looking different, but he will call you by your identity. He will call you by your name, and you will awaken. I love this. Do you know the most powerful words that we can hear today, and they're seven words. God will remember their sins no more. God will remember their sins no more. Seven beautiful words that we need to hear today. You need to latch on and trust those words today. That the sins of your past are no more. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's moved your sins from you today. You might be living on an experience of yourself today that says, this is who I am. This is all it's ever going to be. And you're shutting down the answer that's in front of you today. And Jesus wants to say, I've disillusioned you. I've used the experience of your brokenness right now. You're not what people say you are. You're not what people say that you think you are even. You are Christ's identity now. I love this, that Paul says, I am certain of this. That nor life, nor death, nor angels, or demons, nor height, nor death, no creation on this earth shall separate us from the love of God. And we know that, but God wants to release you into that. Because many of us are not experiencing that. And so the disillusionment is a gift to say, I am going to trust you, Jesus. I'm going to trust that the unexpected resurrection can become a new way of life. Because isn't it good that Mary, who was demon-possessed, now suddenly becomes the first evangelist? Her experience was transformed. She went through disillusionment, but suddenly came out on the other side. Instead of just knowing Jesus in part, she was filled with something greater And she wasn't limited by her experience of knowing. Suddenly, she trusted Jesus even more and stepped into a whole new identity. That's the resurrection life. That's why we gather on a Sunday. That's why we believe that God transforms lives. He takes our experiences of our past and says, I'm breaking your knowing, and I'm inviting you on a journey to trust me because I want to do something so much deeper with your life. I want you to be someone who transforms your world. And we don't need to be held by our knowing in our experiences. So let's carry on with our story of Thomas. Thomas, our ride or die. Also known as Didius, so uh, T. Diddy could also be another cool nickname. He's called the twin, the T. Diddy. Like he has so many nicknames. That one friend you have in your group that has all those nicknames, this is Thomas. And so eight days later, after Jesus died, so a full week later, 
His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus stood among them. Another wonderful party trick of Jesus. Face changing, supposedly, and walks through walls. Fantastic. Peace be with you, because you would need to say that if someone just walked through the walls. Like, I'm pretty sure some guns would come out in this room, and we would need to be like, peace, peace, peace be with you. Oh, there would be another trick he would probably show. Maybe Matrix, Morpheus kind of stuff. I don't know. I'm dreaming right now. Back to the scripture. When he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not apisto, do not disbelieve, but pisto, believe. That wonderful play on words. Don't unbelieve, believe. Thomas answered, my Lord, my God, Jesus said to him, this beautiful just rejoicing and worship. We don't know if Thomas actually touched Jesus or not. But suddenly this rejoicing came over and he saw rightly that the Lord was in front of him. Not just the teacher, but God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And again, Thomas brings this amazing revelation out of his brokenness. This almost beatitude we see in front of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, for, G, for, sorry, for Thomas, limited by the physical reality of knowing. So we can have the experiential, which definitely informs a lot, but we have the physical reality of what I hold present tense in front of me. And for many of us, we suffer with this. We are people who are seeing is believing. Again, with my children, teaching them to follow Jesus, praying is so difficult for them. And I think for many of us in this room, it's the one action where you talk to yourself almost. It feels like you're talking to no one. It feels so foreign to the way that we live because we are such a seeing is believing. I'll believe it if I see it. To Thomas, our ride or die guy, he's a loyal learner. Hard facts are what he's all about. But Jesus breaks that framework straight from the offset by walking through a wall. Jesus does the unexpected in our lives. He walks through walls. He walks through our trials. He walks into the very space. Again, if both stories don't tell you anything more, he deeply cares for you. He will walk into your situation. Maybe you don't see it yet because you are so disillusioned by you know, the things that have been framed in your worlds. And maybe you're disillusioned because of uh, the reality of the physical that you need to see. Jesus is inviting us into something so much deeper. And so he's already disarmed Thomas. And God is not distant from our troubles. And once again, I just want to home in on that beautiful line that Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen yet but believe. Jesus is not cussing out Thomas in any way. In fact, he's speaking a promise over all of us. Because actually, the beauty is, is that Thomas has actually affirmed that Jesus has risen from the dead. We know that Jesus ate food. We also know someone who doubted that he even existed now believes because he physically saw him and was with him. And so that's a beautiful testament to us. But actually, Jesus is switching the narrative for us to know. Because there's some of us in this room that would say, I would actually probably be a better follower of Jesus if Jesus actually still walked this earth. 
Actually, some of you in this place, and we've all had that question, if I could just physically ask Jesus, if we could have that massive Google request or whatever new form, that we could type out some answers and Jesus would physically answer us back, we would say, I think I'd be a better Christian if I had a physical Jesus. I think actually the amazing thing of this whole story is that Jesus is saying, actually, blessed, blessed meaning happy, so happier is the person who does not see and believes. Because there is a tension in our hearts that we, if we only live by physicality, will never live the full faith that we want to desire for our lives. We will never experience trust and the joy, joy sorry, that it brings in our lives. We need this. It's funny because even in Matthew 28, when the Great Commission came that we are to make disciples of all cultures, you know in that same chapter when Jesus invited them up on the mountain where he said they worshipped and some doubted. It's mind-blowing, right? So resurrected, they're on top of a mountain, they're worshipping God, Jesus. And it says in Scripture, they doubted. Isn't that beautiful that Scripture does that? That it's not just like some hyper, like this is why I, I, you know, whenever my atheist friends have questions, it's like the Scripture's real. There is real doubt, but there is real faith as well. Because the amazing thing about Thomas is that this one who doubted would later be a martyr in India in 72 AD roughly. So 30 years on, he would give his life for Jesus. That's the switch around that happened. You can hold doubt, and God invites that, but he transforms it. And Thomas becomes an amazing savior and spreader of the gospel. So Jesus is actually inviting us not into certainty, but trust. The Christian life will never be fully certain. You will never have the perfect theology. You will never be able to argue your friend into Christianity. Can I tell you today, for the facts people in the room, you're never going to have all the answers. Just not. And Jesus is okay with that. In fact, he almost makes it harder for us to even understand. He spoke in riddles and parables. He never made it straight. Because the essence of faith is not found in in the action of knowing, remember. Our whole point today is this, that there is a joy in trusting beyond knowing. Now, you would argue, Johnny, it just sounds like a, just, you're living oblivious. You're just living like someone who's going to just try and be ultra positive in life. No, it welcomes the doubt, but actually invites us into a deeper question of are we going to love something above what I think's best? Am I going to love something and put my trust? Because actually there's something joyful that we need to experience as Americans in this culture. How often do you every day check your news to make certain your world? How often do you need to know the four worst things that are going on in your world? And then you either, some people do this, I do this sometimes, we imagine the worst situations in our lives so that when the pain happens, it doesn't feel that bad. We are constantly trying to make certain our worlds. And Jesus says, the anxiety and fears that you carry of the future, it's not how you're meant to live. There is grace for today, and there is not that grace for tomorrow. Today, there has enough fears. Tomorrow cannot contain. 
And so we're inviting all this anxiety. And I think the resurrection says the unexpected will come, but it's trying to change you from someone that thinks they know or tries to have certainty and invites this beautiful trust. Because actually, you will walk lighter. You will actually walk lighter. You will actually be more of a joyful person if you let this process happen. That what you thought was where Jesus was, he is no more. What you thought was the tomb that he died is not anymore. And maybe for some of you, you're still at the empty tomb. You believe that Jesus rose again, but you just don't have any relationship with him. It's just void. And Jesus is saying, I want you to trust me beyond knowing. And I think it's a beautiful invitation, which we are in a series at the moment of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus promised, it is better that I go away. Because I've got a better gift, and it is the Holy Spirit. It is more blessed to not see and believe. Because actually, if you just keep wanting to have the physical manifestations of miracles and things, you will never be satisfied. But there is a satisfaction in trusting beyond knowing. There is a lightness in your heart that you will experience because if you live this way. We're in a series at the moment about the Holy Spirit. And I'd invite you next week to come. Because if you want to understand how this all works, it's through the Holy Spirit. And we're in that series at the moment. I'm not going to give you a three-step challenge on how to live your perfect life. I'm putting before you an invitation into a journey that your knowing is flawed. The resurrection proves that. And it says, trust me. It invites to trust you. It will change your life for the better. You will see the anxieties. You know there's medications, and the medications are not wrong whatsoever. Going counseling is not wrong. It's awesome. But if you really want to see some life and life to the full, God can heal. God can work within those. And I believe see transformation in your life. You know that longing that you have in your heart that you're not living the life that you're meant to live? Not even morally, right? I'm talking about purpose. Some of you just feel like you're not living full purposeful lives. It's because you need to trust. You've been living in the limitations of your knowing. And God is saying, I want you to trust me today. We're held all by an experience. We're held by a reality in front of us today. Unexpected resurrection shows us we can come with our doubts, but God wants to make space and encourage us that he is the answer, and it's to trust him today.